Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey guys, good morning. Great to see everybody. Hey, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Samuel, and Beck and I, we just, we just love getting to serve you guys here. But if I haven't met you yet, you know, when we dismiss, you can hang out. You don't, I mean, there's, there's not a time bomb that goes off. It's like, it's okay. Hang out, say hello. I would love to meet you. And if you think I'd like to, Becca would like to meet you way, way more <laughs> and tell you all things that you didn't even know you wanted to know, but she will. People come to the door and I'm like, no, you may not answer. You're not giving them our social security number. You're not giving them credit cards. Like, please, please. But it is great to see you guys this morning. And I want to let you know, so if, if you've been here before, if you've been around, depending on how long, you know what's coming. And new year is about to begin. And what we like to do is start the new year by seeking God first. And we do that in a particular way, which is fasting. So I want to invite you to join us in this in January. And what we're going to do is we're going to start January 3rd, so we're going to come to service, we're going to hear a little bit about fasting and what that's meant to be, and then we're going to fast for 21 days. And some of you, you're going to do food, but you, here's what you do. I'm inviting you to pray. Ask God what he'll have you fast. We ask that everybody, we encourage everybody to start with some sort of food fast, and then decide what you're going to fast for 21 days as you seek God, put him first in the new year. Because God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's like, and the other stuff, I'll take care of that. And so we want to just, so every year we're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I invite you to join us in that that's coming up in January. Gonna be, it's going to be good. We're real excited about that. And so we just keep doing that over and over. But we're in Galatians, and we're moving through this so fast, so fast. You guys are like, yeah, we did one verse last week. We're going to cover more this week. We really are. <laughs> Well, here's where we went, and we're just going to do a little bit of recap. Galatians 6, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And it says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, for you will also be tempted. And he's telling how, how we're supposed to treat and how the body of Christ, which is the church, is supposed to act, how we're supposed to treat each other. We looked at Matthew 18. 18, 15, and 16, and 17, and it basically says, hey, if you see somebody, a brother or sister who needs help, and they're falling away, this is what you do. You, you go to them privately. You go to them privately. Then after, if that doesn't work, then you say, okay, you bring somebody else with you, and you're like, look, let everything be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. You're like, look, this isn't good. We see you falling away from God. Yeah, you're drinking a little too much, and you might not, but I'm not the only one that thinks this, and, and uh, we reach out to them. And then if that doesn't work, number three, the Bible says the church. Take it to the church. And if they don't listen to them, the Bible says, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which is somebody who's lost and needs Jesus. They need Jesus. They really do. So we reach out. We love them. We invite them to church. We do everything that we can. Some things that we don't do is we don't date them. There is no missionary dating. I'm going to win him to Jesus. No. No, the Bible says do not be unequally yoked, 2 Corinthians 6.14. So we do not date them. There is, there is no, oh, but, 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 but they'll come to church if I'm dating them. No. That, that's not what the Bible says. There's, 
honestly, the, the bar for who we date as believers, the Bible sets really, really low. Like you can trip over it. And that is they need to be a believer. They don't even have to be smart. They don't have to know how to read or drive. Like it's just they need to be a believer. So it's, the bar is actually pretty low, but we don't skip that one. We do not skip that one. But what if you're already married to them? What if you're already married to them? And somebody asked me this one last week, and I was like, I really should have addressed that. <laughs> that, that is a great one. And you're not the first one to ask it, and actually that is addressed really clearly in 1 Corinthians 7.12. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue to live with them, he must not leave her. This is not, re, this is not grounds, this is not a reason for a divorce of, you know, they just, they won't repent. And we were, they said they loved God, but now they don't. What am I supposed to do? Verse 13, and if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue to live with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. You get to do your job regardless of what the other one does. That's what marriage is. That, that, that's what it is. Marriage is a predecision of how you will treat another person regardless of what they do or do not do. Same thing right here. And then it goes on and says, otherwise your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. And if you want to know what that last part means, I have no idea. I'm so serious. I have no idea. They're holy and they wouldn't be holy. I do not, I do not know. I, I have an idea. I have a thought, which is when we pray for our kids, that it, God puts a mark on them. And that, that is my personal opinion on that verse, that otherwise your children would not be holy. But I pray for my kids. I don't know a believing parent that doesn't. You have kids and you're like, I need Jesus. Oh my goodness. What in the world? And you begin to pray for your kids. That's my personal belief. I don't know exactly, but here's, here's what we are gonna, we're going to get back to this, and that is if, if this person that you're like, you know, we got married and they were a believer, but they've turned their back, they've walked away from what do I do, you pray, you love, and you do your part anyway. If they're pleased to live with you, the Bible says do not divorce them. And then we got a little bit into the justifier last week. The person who says, well, I'm a Christian and... I just, I'm, I, just, I just kill people. I'm just a murderer and a Christian. You're like, no, that doesn't work. Like those two things do not go together. You cannot deny the lordship of Jesus. If you've made him lord of your life, that, mean he's, that means he's lord. And we, we use the context, the word lord, we don't use that very often unless we're referring to like Jesus. We don't have lords. Like we... We don't, but there used to be lords, lords of the land. And you're like, well, it's their land and everything I have is theirs and I work for them. And it's, it's, that's, that's all it was. And there was, there was context around that that we're missing. But when you make Jesus your Lord, that means he is the ruler of your life. He makes the decisions for you. It's lordship. And we, we don't get to just deny that and pick and choose through it. And so this is how 1 Corinthians says we are to, to deal with those who want to be a Christian their own way. They want their own flavor. They're like, isn't it a mix and match? Don't I get to just like build my own Christianity? Like, can I, can I do that? 1 Corinthians 5, 9. 
I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world that are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He's like, don't, don't go hide in a box somewhere. I'm a Christian and I'm just going to go hide and try to stay away from everything that's not Christian. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. Verse 11, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is a sexual immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slandered, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. There's meant to be, in the body of Christ, a unified disdain for sin. A bad taste, it's something that none of us like. There's meant to be a unified, and that when one part of us is like, it's okay, that the rest of us is like, no, it's not. But it doesn't just come from one voice. It's, it's a unified voice. The Bible says, with such a person, you don't even eat. They're welcome in public gatherings, but we don't invite them to our small group. We don't, we don't go and have dinner with them. We don't do play dates with our kids. Because they're refusing to make God Lord. They say, I, I am, but I'm not. I am. I, it, it, it's a build my own Christianity. You're like, no, you don't get to do that. There's meant to be a response in the body of Christ that says, that's not good. That we're not supposed to just go, I'm not going to look at it. That they're supposed to be enough off, that they're put off by it, that they're like, oh, yeah. This is not good. This is not okay. And I know it, means, it, it sounds really harsh. Does that sound harsh to anybody else? It sounds harsh to me. It sounds really, really harsh. When Becca and I were dating, remember I asked her, we, we were talking about giving and, and, and how to give and, and, and some of that, and that's something that was really just on my heart, and I love to do, and I was supporting some missionaries at the time, and I'm like, well, I'm going to marry this girl, we're going to combine our finances, and is she going to be like, well, I don't like that. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've only known her like four or five days, so i got to figure some stuff out. <laughs> so, so, that's the truth. So, it was actually more like two or three. But, um, so we're riding in the car, and I'm like, well, how do you feel about like giving? And she's like, oh, I love it, and it's, it's great. And I said, now, what about how the Bible says, if somebody does not work, you shall not eat. I said, what do you think about that? I think it was because she had said something about, like, you know, I love giving to the needy and things like that. And so, so I, I brought up that verse. And I, I, I can hear her responding to it right now where she goes, that sounds really harsh. And when she said that, I got this sinking feeling like, I should just let her out right now. Like, this is not going to work. <laughs> like, this is not going to work. But then she kept talking, and she said this. She goes, but if that's what the Bible says, that's what's best. And I was like, oh, close the door. Like, yeah, we're, we are good to go. And I remember just thinking, I, I thought to myself, if she'll make that, at, if she'll make that decision, if she can make that decision where this sounds harsh and I kind of disagree with it, but if that's what the Bible says, that's what's best, I'm like, I can marry this girl and we can get through anything. And I married her and we're getting through everything. <laughs> like, I think I was right. But we have to have that attitude. And I think this does. It sounds harsh. We're like, we're supposed to, as a body, 
kind of re- put somebody on the outside, on the outs? Aren't we all supposed to just love one another and love everything and love everything about every, everybody? We love everyone, but there's stuff that we don't love. And the goal here is that they would feel some remorse and change and come back. That's the goal. In fact, it's, that's only meant to be done for a time. It's only meant to be done for a time. 2 Corinthians 2.5 says this, Remember the man that I wrote you about who caused all the trouble? Has not caused sorrow to me as much as to all the rest of you, though. I certainly have my share in it, too. But I don't want to be harder on him than I should. He has been punished enough by your united disapproval. It's the whole body being like, this isn't okay. You hear something from one person, and you're like, hmm, you could be right. But you hear it over and over and over and over, and you're like, they, I, I think they're onto something. And that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a united disapproval. Verse 7, now it is time to forgive him and comfort him. Otherwise, he may become so bitter and discouraged that he won't be able to recover. Please show him now that you still do love him very much. I don't like that. Here's the part I don't like about that. It's not really, I like clean, cut, black, white. Gray isn't nice. It's like, no, black and then it's white. There's, not, there's nothing in between, nothing. But what this is, is there's a bit of like, wait a second. How, how do we know how long it is? And if we're all together, we see somebody, and sometimes people do things and they don't post it, and sometimes they're, they're just like, hey, I tell everybody everything, because they're Becca. And other times they're people, they're people more like me, and you're like, I don't really know what's going on inside his head. It's, it's not really easy, and this is where I'm so grateful that we have the Holy Spirit and that we need to be like, okay, where we go to the person and we, we kind of, we have steps one, two, three, and then we say, okay, this is 3B, this is the justifier, and it's, it's not a private matter at this point that people, that we've, we've gone to them and we've gone with the church and we have other people to help us to make this decision so that we can be united and then when we try to, we try, we do, we keep the, the circle small. It doesn't need to be everybody and we do, we want to love them, but the whole goal and the whole thing is that we can bring them back and we want them to know that. Why? Because we love them. Galatians 6.2 says this about all of it. It says, carry each other's burdens in this way. You love Christ. Talking about this. Talking about helping each other. That we're the body of Christ. Caring for one another. That we do call them out and be like, hey, where have you been the last two Sundays? What are you doing? You're not prioritizing the things of God. And what is this? What are you, what are you listening to? I, I, we mention it. We say things because we care. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. So that there should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And that's us. We should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you 
is a part. You're not like, you're not going to be a part. It's not like, and, some, and each of you will one day be a part. It's like you are right now. If you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you instantly became a part of the body of Christ, a part of the church. Again, the church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. It's you, it's me. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. That's us. Verse three, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. So we just went into how we care for each other. And hey, we need to be caring for each other. And we're, we're a part of the body. And now he says this, now don't be lazy. <laughs> He's like, each of you should take care of yourself. You need to be looking out. You need to be judging yourself. You need to be taking care of yourself. This is what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be lazy. We're not supposed to rely on everybody else in the body to take care of us. But we need to look at our own actions and we need to take care of ourselves. Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who's been stealing, steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands. Why? So that they can take care of themselves and, but listen, that they may have something to share with those in need. He says, we need to carry our own load, but look at me. The reason we do this isn't just so me, myself, and I, us four, no more, we're out the door, can be good. That's not it. That's not it. That we may have something to share with those in need. The Christian life is a generous life. That's, that, that's, that's it. That's what we get to do. We are meant to be generous with all that we have. He says, don't be lazy. Yeah, we take care of each other, but there shouldn't be laziness in this. It's not like, okay, you guys are supposed to take care of me. I'm not going to do anything. Take care of me. No, he's like, no, don't be lazy. Get up, work, so that you can be doing what you need and so that you can share with others. The Bible says, he who does not take care of his own family is worse than an unbeliever. Talking about finances. Really, just talking about finances. We've got to take care of our families. But there's more than that. He's like, we should, we, we should be giving. We should be giving. Verse 6, anyone who receives instructions in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And then he goes into, okay, now that we're on this point of you have to take care of yourselves, you should be providing for yourselves and looking for others. He's like, FYI, ministers... That is their duty. Share your good things with them. That they're doing their job. They're ministering. He's like, that's what it's supposed to be. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9.13 says this. It says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That's why we support missionaries. We're like, yeah, you're going to go and that's what you're going to do is you're going to spend your life sowing into these, pe these different people groups. And this is where, yeah, absolutely, we're going to support this. I remember I was at Home Depot and I ended up talking with this guy and he was an elder at this church and he began to talk to me and he knew that he heard that I was a pastor. And so we begin and we're, we're sitting there looking at nuts and bolts talking about the ins and outs of church. And he's like, I think pastor, all pastors should work. And missionaries, he's like, they don't, they don't need us to be, we could support so many more missionaries 
if, if we weren't just supporting them all, you know, if they, if they all had their own vocations at the same time. And I'm like, but that's not what the Bible says. And he's like, well, I'm an elder at my church. I'm like, then I'd really like to talk to you. I said, why don't you look and make a decision based on... And so we got into this argument in Home Depot. And so we're sitting here talking, and this guy, it, it was so much fun. It really was. And the, one of the guys comes by in the orange apron to check on us. And I'm like, you guys never check on me. Never. But we're sitting here, and this guy's going back and forth and back and forth in the orange apron. I think he was just listening to us. But we were having fun. We weren't yelling. But I, I left being like, okay, I gave him some verses. I'm like, I'm not going to change your mind. But what I would like, I, I hope what I can at least do is get you to look at some verses in the Bible and pray about it. Well, let God change your mind. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that today. But he's saying, look, we're not going to be lazy. We're gonna, and then he says, look, ministers, they're going to do their part, and their part is to minister the word. He's addressing these different levels and one of the things that we're getting to do as a body this year for Christmas is we're blessing three, uh, a couple of pastors and missionaries' families this year. Missionaries and, and, and uh, these, these two pastors' families, they've started churches recently. And that's a lot of sacrifice for the families because it's not just mom and dad that do it. It's, it's the kids. It's like, hey, here's, here's where we're going, and this is what we get to do. There's not a staff to take care of this. This is what we're going to do. So what we get to do as a church is we, are, we, ask, we ask some of these parents, like, what can we do so that we can be a blessing to these kids? That we know that they're serving, they're helping, they're doing, and it's going to cost us under $1,000 to bless all three of these families and missionaries and pastors, kids, and we're like, hey, thank you for your service and in building the kingdom of God. Because not only should you see the, the oh, my parents are gone and this is a little different, but we're going to make it good for you as well and thank you for what you're doing from everybody at Life West. So these families are going to get that in just a couple weeks. And it's so much fun to get to do that. But he's like, look, everybody needs to be able Everybody needs to be able and should be to carry your own load. And at the same time as we're doing that, we're like, how can I help those that are around me? That's what we get to do as believers. That is our job. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, anytime in your Bible you say, you hear, do not be deceived, you should underline it, highlight it, mark it, check it, and everything else, because that's where we're deceived. Like that's, it's there because we are, and it happens way, way, way too often. But he says this in verse 7, he says, do not be deceived. And then he says this, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from that from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Love, could I have that water next to you? I forgot it. Thank you. So I'm going to read that again because I got lost in it. I started looking for my water while I was reading. I don't know why I do that. I'm not that good. I can't do two things at once at all. Women do it all the time, two, three, four, five conversations. She jumps around. I'm like, I'm lost. I'm so sorry. Like one thing at a time. Just, but I can do that one thing, so let's do it. Verse 8. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I like what one commentary had to say about this. He said, the seeds sown 
is a man's actions here on earth. You could say, or the woman's actions here on earth. If the object of those actions is merely self-indulgence, they are, as it were, sown in a field, the owner of which is the flesh. The flesh alone will benefit from them, and for it alone are they garnered or harvest up or harvested. If such has been a man's conduct, he must look to the flesh for his reward, and all the reward it can give him will be a share in its own corruption. For the flesh perishes, and so shall the fruit of his actions also perish. What we, we sow our, de- our actions. Our actions. It's not just money that we give. It's our resources. It's our time. It's our relationships. It's absolutely everything. But if we spend our time building retirement, climbing the corporate ladder, buying bigger, faster, nicer, larger, piling up toys, then we're going to be like what it says in 1 Corinthians 3.12. If we're doing all of this for ourselves, 1 Corinthians 3.12 says this, if anyone builds on this foundation, which says, I'm a believer, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, we believe right there. It says, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, it says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. When you and I stand before God, he's going to look at everything we did and the Bible says that our work, our deeds, our actions are literally going to be, and I heard it described as this and I absolutely loved it, the castles that we build, our life, if I could hold it in my hand, are going to be put into a fire and in that fire they will be tested. And here's what the Bible says. If what has been built survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. We'll stand before God and everything that we've ever done, all of it, he's going to look at it and he's going to put it to the test, which is a fire, the Bible says. And some of us, what we've done The Bible says, if none of it survives, you'll make it into heaven, but just as one escaping the flames. I don't want to just escape. He's like, but others, if it survives, he will come out to receive his reward. And here's the thing. If what we're doing is spending our time building our retirement accounts, climbing the corporate ladder, getting the bigger, better, faster house and, and piling up our toys, but then we decide... I'm going to use that for the kingdom of God. Just like a farmer who plants seeds, when he harvests it, that's when he decides what it's going to be used for. You can right now, no matter how long it's been, you may have sown into the flesh and into your own self and nothing but, you may have been the most selfish person in your, anybody's known. You make the Grinch look friendly and generous. Like, that's you. You're the most selfish person. That's what you've always been. But today, you decide, I'm going to change. And I'm going to use what God's given me to make a difference. You can be that farmer that's been planting seeds, but now that you have this harvest, you can look and say, God, I give it to you, all of it. What do you want me to do? And you can make an incredible difference. 
You can change your history by your decision that you make today. You can rewrite your story. You can rewrite, yeah, there's this stuff that happened and I sowed this when I was thinking all about myself, but today I decide to use what I have to build the kingdom of God. I'm going to use my resources. I'm going to use my relationships. I'm going to use my time. I'm going to use my talent. I'm going to use my finances. I'm going to use it all to build the kingdom of God. And you can take all of that momentum, all of that that you have done, and rewrite it and say, today, I'm going to give it to God and watch what I get to do. Because let me just say this. The, if you are a bored Christian, the cure for the bored Christian is this. It's generosity. That's what it is. Give. And you watch the fun that's going to come. If you're like, Christianity is just lame. It's just a bunch of people that go to church. They kind of just come back and it's not very much fun. And then all they do is they think about themselves. And here's what you do. You pray and say, God, what, what, would you, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to give away and where do you want me to give it? And you're going to have some fun. I think it's really interesting around this time of year, people are a little bit more like thinking about giving and okay, and what if we, we kind of support this? But that's, that's what we're meant to be doing all the time. All the time is we get to give. It's what are we going to do? We get to give. I read a story I want to share with you. This is about Robert G., and I might pronounce his last name wrong, but it's Latornas. Latorno, something like that. He was born in 198, excuse me, 1888, November 30. It says this about Robert. It says, Robert left school at age 14. He didn't finish the seventh grade. He moved across country and worked as a welder, a woodcutter, a bricklayer, a farmhand, a miner, an electrical mechanic, uh, machinist, a carpenter. He became a contractor and a self-taught engineer. I love it. And eventually a business owner. Now, Robert's sister, a missionary, felt that Robert should not pursue business, but should instead prove his commitment to Christ by becoming an evangelist, a pastor, or a missionary. Robert was willing to serve God in any way, and he went to his pastor seeking advice. After they prayed together, his pastor told him, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. And Robert determined to be the best businessman he could for the cause of Christ. Now, he did not find instant success. In his 30s, deeply in debt, he decided to make God his senior business partner, which led him to live on 10% and to give 90% of his income and business profits to the kingdom of God. Nearly 70%—we're going to skip a little bit in his life here—nearly 70% of the earth-moving equipment and engineering vehicles used by the Allied forces during World War II were built from his design and his machinery. Self-taught engineer. Robert invented a manufac and manufactured machines that laid most of the original highway infrastructure of the United States of America. Arguably the greatest mechanical engineer of the 20th century, Robert had God-given creativity and vision that were decades ahead of his time. By the end of his life, he held almost 300 patents. Robert eventually established a school which became Letourneau University it's in Texas. He understood that missionary technicians were every built, every bit as important as traditional Bible teaching missionaries. And Robert's tombstone cites Matthew 6, 33. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's quoted as saying, God gives me money to shovel it out, and he keeps shoveling it back in. Only his shovel is bigger than mine. The guy just gave. He's like, this is what I get to do. There are missionaries, and they need to be supported. But my gift, he said, isn't that. And so he used what he had. And the thing I lo- one of the things I love about his story is he didn't just give away his company profits while still making an insane amount himself. He said, I'll give away 90, I'll live on 10, and so will my business. He's like, we're going to do the same thing. And you can find all kinds of books and stories on him. But the thing I couldn't find was how much he gave. I was like, if he did all of that, I said, I wouldn't, I said, I want to know how much. You can't find that. But man, you can find stories of the lives that were changed as a result of different missionaries, missionary organizations that were about to go under and that he was able to reach out and say, hey, what can I do? If I was to give you $5,000, what would it be able, what would you be able to do? When his company was failing, he's like, no, I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to do what I can. He says, this is what I'm going to do. He goes, I'm going to put my church on the company payroll. He's like, if I'm making payroll, he says, then we're giving. And he's like, that's how I'm going to do it. Because he found himself, he goes, my his heart would be so big, he'd hear about what was happening at church and he'd pledge. And then the year comes to an end and he says, how much, he asks his accountant, he says, how much did we give? And the accountant says, we didn't give any this year. And he's like, what? We said we would. And I feel like God's told me that we need to do it again and we're going to make that up. And his accountant's like, you can't do it. And he's like, but I can. He's like, so this is how we're going to do it. Because year after year, he wasn't, he made a mistake. Anybody have a their, their mouth ever bigger than their wallet and you say something, you're like, I can't do that. Anybody's eyes bigger than their stomach and you take more food than you should? Yeah. Thank you, Bryce. And that's, that, that's it. But he's like, I'm going to make this work. But here's what he decided to do. If you want to have some of the just well, the most amazing fun you can, decide you're going to use what God's given you to make a difference. Give. You want to have fun as a Christian or anybody give. You've probably heard it said, money can't buy happiness. And most of us are like, well, let me try. Like, please, just just let me try. But the truth is, it can't buy it. But when we give it away, it's measurable. It's measurable, the amount of joy that it brings in people's hearts. This time of year, the whole world jumps in on this like, yep, okay, let's give. What are you giving to? We get to be this all the time. And so what I pray that you'll do is that you'll pray and ask God. Say, God, what do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? And how much do you want me to give? Because let me just say, amounts... Amounts don't dictate the power of a gift. They don't. If you've ever been in line waiting to get something and you realize you don't have enough money, and then somebody comes along, 
the value of just knowing that somebody else saw. We get to be that to the people around us. If God lays on your heart a big number, then give the big number. Don't give a penny more, don't give a penny less, but whatever that number is, I'm asking you to do this, to go home and to pray. Go home and pray. If you're married, then talk to your spouse about it. Make sure you're on the same page. And as you're looking at next year, look at what you can give and, and, and budgeting, like, hey, this is where we're going for the next year and this is what we're thinking. I challenge you to take that giving budget, like, boop, 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 and watch what happens. Just bump it up. That was up in case you're wondering. Like, I don't know what that was. That was up. Like, like bump it up and say, you know, normally we do 10. Today, you know, we're going to do 12% next year. Or normally, you know, we've made it to 15%. Let's, what, what, what do you think we could do this year? What do you think we could do this year? And pray and ask God. Say, God, where do you want us to give? How much do you want us to give? And who can we give to? And you watch the joy that comes in your life. We're all meant to take care of ourselves. We, yeah, we are the body of Christ. We reach out. We help those in need. But we also work so that we can have our needs met, so that we can be strong, and we can help others. So that we can help others. The blind don't lead the blind, or they fall in a pit. Like, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's the strong that can help the weak. I pray that all your needs are met. Why? So that you can be a blessing to those that are around you. Again, the Bible says if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Yeah, you need to take care of your family's needs. But maybe some of what you need to do is reevaluate what a need is. And look at, okay, how, how can I give? Because we can all do something, but here's all I ask again, is that you pray and you ask God, how much and where? And the joy in this is that you can change today. Everything, you can use all the stuff that you've done. You can rewrite your history as you say, look, this is where I find myself today. I'm going to use what happened. I'm going to use where I am to make a difference and be a blessing to those that are around you. Who knows what will happen? I read a story this week about a pastor who was in line at a grocery store Notice that the person in front of them didn't have a whole lot. But they also didn't, weren't able to pay for it. And so he just tapped the person on the back, said, don't turn around. I'm like, that's kind of freaky. But anyways, that's, that's, that's what this is. He's like, don't turn around. He's like, here's, take this. That'll cover what you need. Gave this person the money and then slipped away. Didn't think about it again. But years later, was preaching in the same area at a church. And after the service, a man came up to him and said, I recognized your voice. I know who you are. And the guy's like, what? And he says, you don't know this, but when you slipped that money in my hand, he said, my wife and I, we were just at the end. And our plan was we, we had a pact as a family that we were going to go home and we were going to end it all for all of us. I was there getting some food with the last bit of our money. And that was going to be for our son. 
but you said, God loves me, and you gave me that money. And then as we were on the way, I was on my way home, I drove by a church, and it had a sign, and on the sign it said, God loves you. So we went to that church. I went with my wife, and I went with my daughter, and they gave an altar call, and we went up. He says, and this is that church, and you're here, and I just wanted to say thank you, and he runs up and gives the guy just a huge hug. read that story in my garage and I was almost crying and Jono comes in, Dad, can I have candy? And I'm like, yeah, what, what do you need? What do you need? What, what was going on? But here's what I love is I think so few times do we hear the difference. Do we get to connect all the dots from the things that we do? We do something small. We don't really get to hear about it. We don't see the impact that it has in our two hours, two years, or 20 years later. But my prayer is this, is that every one of you, you get to heaven, your life's work gets put through that fire, and then God says, come in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you come in, and then person after person after person is like, guess what? You gave, and as a result, this happened, and you gave, and this touched my life, and all you said was God loved you, but I needed to hear it, and as a result, I knew that, and this and we hear it over and over and over, where we'll finally be able to connect the dots and see the difference that we've made, because the Christian life is a generous life. No matter what you've been before, you can turn it around, and you can use it starting today. Let's pray. God, we come before you. And we're so grateful and thankful for all that you've given us. God, maybe some of us have been me-focused and it's been all about us. God, today we give you it all. Maybe some of us, just generosity is completely like, that's, that's not something we ever even thought about. God, today we give it to you. And we repent for closing our eyes to the needs of those that are around us. God, open up our eyes to see how we can be your hands, how we can be your feet, how we can be your voice, how we can encourage and love those that are around us. If you're here today and you say, you know, I want to start to be generous, I'd love to pray for you. I feel like I've just, I, I need to. Things have had me I haven't had things. But today I want to learn to let go and I'm going to be generous. I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, just lift your hand so I can see it and then we're going to pray. All right. God, I just pray right now for every person that just lifted their hands. I say, God, that they want to be more generous. God, I thank you for moving in them and empowering them by your spirit. God, that from this day forward, they will have stuff and stuff will not have them. That they will be able to see, to use, to let go and use it as they never have before to build the kingdom of God. And we thank you for all you're doing in and through us. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today, you say, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't want to leave without giving you a chance to make him the Lord of your life. If that's you, you say, I need to give my heart to him. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know, there's a time I was living for God, but I've just walked away. And today I need to rededicate my life to him. Ask him to forgive me. I know he will, but I just, I need to take that stand today. 
you're either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you. If you're in this room or online, wherever you are, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand and then right where you sit, we're going to pray. And when we say amen, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God, that you're forgiven, set free, and begin to walk out the plan and purpose he has for you. Get ready. One, two, three. Shoot it up and say, that's me, and today is my day. Yes. All right. Let's pray. Everybody out loud, if you would, those that lifted their hands, as you say these words, say them from your heart. Let's all pray together. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. From now on, I'm going to live for you. With all that I am, I'm yours. Thank you for shedding your blood, for dying on the cross for me. From now on, I choose you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.